Good morning. Uh, learn afresh each time uh, how much I need to be praying for him uh, as he preaches. Uh, as we uh, get into the word this week, I would ask that you uh, would pray for me, um, and we are going to take some time to do that in just a second here, but um, I, I, I do need help with this one. It's a difficult text. And you'll see that as we read it, uh, but I ask that you would uh, join me in prayer and that you would, uh, you would pray for me uh, as we pray together, uh, that I would um, preach the word of God well. So let's pray. Uh, we thank you for the work of Christ that has made that possible, and we just ask that you would uh, show us Christ in your word this morning. Help us, God, to go from this place changed. And help me, God, to move out of the way uh, that you might speak and that you might teach us from your word this morning. I thank you and praise you for this, um, this privilege, this joy of, of, of speaking and preaching. Uh, I do ask, God, that you would, uh, you would guard my lips and that you would help me to say uh, only what will glorify you uh, and build up the body. Thank you and praise you for all that you do, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Some of you may have been alive uh, November the 9th, 1989. I happened to be two months old, so I was alive. Can't say that I remember what happened on this date, but... Uh, anybody know what that date marked? See, nobody in the first service knew either. Uh, the Berlin Wall fell November the 9th, 1989. And nobody was really able to pinpoint exactly uh, what happened, what transpired in leading up to the Berlin Wall falling uh, that, that made it come down. But I think, you know, history has, has maybe not expressed this a whole lot. Something happened two months before the Berlin Wall fell, September the 9th. I was two days old uh, when this was happening. But September the 9th, 1989, a prayer meeting took place behind the Iron Curtain. And they had one simple request to God. Peace. They came to him asking him to do this. They came in faith knowing that he could. And so every Monday, starting in 1982 at 5 p.m., they would gather together, a small group at first, and read the Beatitudes in unison before praying to God for peace. Uh, by 1988, the meetings increased to every day, with eventually over 200 people coming to join in prayer. And when asked why he was leading this prayer meeting, the pastor who was leading it said, the church is only the church when it is there for others. He was quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he said this uh, and revealing his heart that he wanted to be there for others even behind the Iron Curtain. By October of 1989, there were 60,000 people walking the streets of Berlin, each with a candle in their hands praying for peace. 
the government later said that they were prepared for riots on that night. And they were prepared for anything, they said, except prayer and candles. And some would credit this night as what led to the falling of the Berlin Wall. Reaching out to God in faith and asking him to act. Even though less than one half of one percent of the population of Berlin at the time was coming out to pray, God used this event to show his power. And I think that's because there is no wall. There is nothing that can limit God's power. And there is nothing then that should stop us, his people, from asking him to show his power. The pastor who led God's people in prayer knew this. And he said, we're praying for peace because the church has to. The church has to do it. And church, this morning, we need to pray. And we need to reach out to God and ask him to act. We need him to show us his power to work among us because if he doesn't, uh, we'll see that, that it's, it's not going to happen. And, and I think our text teaches us that this morning, that it is by God's power as his people reach out in faith that things happen. And so let's read from the Gospel of Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. You'll see the verses on the screen, but hopefully you also have a copy of God's Word in your lap to read from. Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through, 24 through 30, says this. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. As I was uh, looking forward at, at what texts I might get to preach this morning, I was looking, and I saw this passage, and I saw the passages after it, and I was like, you know, any passage but this one. And it usually seems to work that way, uh, that when I preach, it's, it's the passage that I'm looking at, and I'm like, I, you know, I don't understand that. And, and yet, through the preparation, through the prayer uh, of reading, spending time in this passage, I found that, that I, I needed this passage. And I think we need this passage. And so really, all, all that I'm going to do, we're going to go through the text kind of as it happens. I just want to explain the narrative and what's going on 
uh, and, and just draw some things out that we can learn. Uh, so, firstly, where we have come from. Jesus has just spent time talking to the religious people. They've debated, you know, the cleanliness laws, what makes a person clean, what makes them unclean, what defiles a person. Uh, we've heard all about that leading up to this passage uh, in the past couple weeks. And we see that after Jesus' discussion with the Pharisees, he leaves their region. So, so he finishes speaking with the Pharisees and he retreats. He goes away to Tyre, which that's not the thing that's on your car. It's a region in what we would now know as Lebanon. And, and he goes, most likely, to get some rest. Uh, he, he is escaping the religious peoples, the, the religious debates. And he is going, we don't really know why for sure. I would say probably to, to take time to pray, take time to, to regroup, take time to seek his father. But we do know one thing for sure. The religious people that he has been spending his time with, they just don't get it. They, they don't get that it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean. Cleanliness is a matter of the heart. And so Jesus leaves this Jewish territory to go to the region of the Gentiles instead. And for whatever reason he goes, whether it's for rest or, or something that we just don't know, either way, it's, it's really important and it's really unexpected that he goes to this region. To Jews, and which Jesus was a Jew, Gentiles were considered unclean. You know, we, we've talked, coming up to this passage, about uh, ceremonial cleanliness and all of this sort of thing. And, and because a Gentile is not Jewish, because they do, do not descend from Abraham, they would be categorically rejected as unclean. And not only that, but, but Tyre, the region that Jesus goes into, was extremely hated by the Jews. And, and there's some historical hatred that exists uh, in this region between the Gentiles and Jews. Uh, Ezekiel 26 talks about it a little bit. You can spend some time reading that later if you'd like. But, but really what it is, three things. The region of Tyre took pleasure in the destruction of Jerusalem years and years ago. Uh, when, when Jerusalem was destroyed, they took pleasure. They were also Assyrian allies, so, so there's tension that exists there between them as well. And Tyre was the site where Jezebel convinced King Ahab to revert to Baal worship, leading the nation into idolatry. So, so there's a lot of just blame and a lot of hatred that, that the Jewish people would put on this region. And yet, Jesus goes to this region. We don't know exactly why, but I think it's to, to escape the lack of faith that he found among the Pharisees. He's had conversation after conversation and has performed miracle after miracle to these who are supposed to be his people, and yet he finds no faith. And so he escapes. He retreats. He goes to this region 
probably because he grew weary of the rejection and he wanted to take time to spend some time in solitude and prayer. But as we see in the text, that did not happen. It says in verse 25, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. So Jesus tries to go into this region to find some solitude, but his reputation precedes him. And, and even the Gentiles know this is a miracle worker. He, he has power, and he can do what we need him to do. And this, this Gentile woman whose daughter has a demon, which would also make her even more unclean, Jesus is found by her. And she wants him to heal her daughter. I think this just shows the fame of Christ. You know, news did spread before the days of Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and, and because Jesus was doing so many great things, his power was being made known throughout all the regions, including Gentile regions. And he was not able to be kept hidden because his reputation preceded him. They knew he had power, and they wanted him to perform miracles. And remember, this is a Gentile region. So they, they don't have the word of God. They know the power that God has. And so I think probably what we need to, to understand then is that Jesus did not come to this earth merely to perform miracles. He absolutely had the power to do that, to, to cast out demons as this woman wanted him to. He came to seek and save the lost. And so the first thing that we learn from the text, Jesus has purpose. And his purpose is to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I think we see this in the, inter in, um, the interchange that happens between, uh, the discussion that happens between Jesus and this woman. And we'll get there in just a second. But, but continuing to talk about his power, this woman knew that Jesus could heal her daughter. He entered the Gentile region, but he was not able to escape notice. And this woman comes to him, petitioning him to cast out the demon from her daughter. And it, it is a really peculiar interaction. And, and I think, I think that's, that's a weird word, but it's the right word. Because, you know, he, Jesus is calling this woman a dog... And, and we'll talk about that, but it's, it's kind of really weird. Uh, but we know that, that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for our instruction, so there's something that we need to learn from this text. And I think in this peculiar interaction, we see a parable lived out. Parables were, were just kind of like stories that Jesus would tell. He often would speak in parables, but, but this is a parable lived out. The woman is, is not going to give up. She's not going to stop asking Jesus to do what she knows only he can do. And she comes in utter desperation and complete despair, knowing that this man is her only hope. 
And that, that parable that we see lived out is from Luke chapter 18. The persistent widow in Luke 18 who, who is not going to stop asking uh, until her request is answered. And, and that's, what, that's what this Gentile woman is doing to Jesus. She's coming to him and asking and asking and asking in faith, knowing that he can heal. But I think what's interesting is is that in coming to Jesus, she's kind of you know breaking some social constructs, um, some social faux pas, if you will, uh, because Jewish men, especially Jewish rabbis, did not associate with Gentiles. Not only that, but but they did not associate with women. And 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 this. Gentile woman is both of those things and yet she is coming to Christ and, and asking him to heal her daughter and, and I, I think that's what makes this interaction really quite peculiar that, that she doesn't care what society or culture says she can or can't do she knows that, that this man is her only hope. And so in her desperation, she casts aside the barriers that would exist between her and Jesus. And she keeps on asking, as some translations say. She begs. She continues to ask. She is persistent and undeterred. And, and it's a little more clear in, in Matthew's account of this, um, but Mark kind of implies it that, that Jesus does not answer her right away. And so it's a little weird, you know, Jesus doesn't answer her right away, and, and then when he does answer her, maybe you're left scratching your head, and you're like, what, what did he just say? But Jesus is not ignoring her. He's testing her faith in both his silence and in his answer. So much so that, that you know, the, the disciples who were with Jesus at the time, and again, Matthew tells us more about this, the disciples are trying to, to basically shoo this woman away because they thought Jesus wanted nothing to do with her. But we can see that Jesus is testing her faith. And we know that, that her faith is strong because she didn't leave. She kept asking. And it would be my hope that, that we can have the same kind of resolve as this woman. That we could display the same strength of faith and know that Jesus is our only hope. So much so that we keep petitioning him. We, we continually go to him knowing that unless he acts, it's not going to happen. And I think that's what this, this woman teaches us. And, and Jesus sees the strength of the faith in this woman. And he knows that it's strong, so he chooses to answer accordingly. But in, in how this woman is presenting herself to Jesus, we see faith in action. Faith that is not deterred by what is going on around her. 
Her, her circumstances are not changing her faith. Her faith is, is working to change her circumstances. And, and we see her faith in action. And she knows that only Jesus can do something about this situation that she's in. So she seeks him out and begs for him to heal her daughter. And this, this is massive faith. It may not be exactly clear in the text, but, but considering all of the, the social things going on, there is a massive amount of faith that this woman is displaying to come to this Jewish rabbi as a Gentile woman. She's displaying a lot of faith. And, and, and I think that's probably the same kind of faith that existed behind the Berlin Wall that kept them praying for seven years, that they were undeterred, and they continued to petition God for peace. And I think that's the kind of faith that we need today. The kind of faith that, that can see what's going on in the world and know that only Christ can do something about it. And so we must come before him and reach out in faith and ask him to do this thing, these things. Uh, this woman definitely would have known how a Jewish rabbi would view her as a Gentile woman. And yet she pleads anyway. She was Syrophoenician, Mark tells us. She's a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And, and, and I think this is, this is just Mark kind of clarifying for us. She has absolutely nothing to do with God's people. She is not a descendant of Abraham. She has no claim to the covenant promises of God. She is, in a sense, outside of the camp, not a part of the covenant community. And yet... She reaches into the covenant by faith. She sees what's going on around her and she knows, Christ, only you can do something about this and reaches out in faith. And it is, it's incredible that, that this woman who knew nothing of God's word knew more about the promises of God than his people did. She knew nothing of the promised Messiah, and yet she reaches out to him by faith to be made whole. And, and this is, this is what, what Jesus is, is, is showing us and teaching us this morning, that, that when we come to him in faith and ask him to act, he does. And, and sometimes, you know, he, in his response, he tests our faith. But we know that, that it is God alone that can fix whatever is broken, that can make whole whatever is not whole. And so Jesus left the religious people who would have known all of that. They would have known his word. They would have known uh, of the promised Messiah, the prophecies that were be, to be fulfilled in the man who is standing right before them. And yet they still rejected him. And Jesus finds the faith that his people lacked in someone who was not a part of the covenant, who was not a descendant of Abraham. 
And that is incredible. And, and, and we should learn from that. We should learn from the faith of this Gentile woman who comes to God and reaches out in utter dependence, knowing that unless he acts, it's not going to happen. Is that the kind of faith that you have? Is that the kind of faith that I have? To be able to reach out to God in this way and to continue asking. And, and, and we should know that there's no wall or barrier that can stop God from working. There's nothing that can hold back his hand. There's nothing that can thwart his power. But we must come to him and ask. I, I would say that, um, you know, there's nothing that can, that can stop our power. We see the Berlin Wall did not stop God's people from being faithful, did not stop the gospel from spreading there. But, but I think while that is true, that nothing can stop God's power, maybe sometimes our comfort stops us from reaching out. Uh, maybe, maybe, and this really is my struggle, that, that I, I'm oftentimes controlled by comfort instead of faith. Maybe you can relate to that. But I, I, get, I get so caught up and so comfortable with, with, with what I'm doing, with, with whatever it may be, and I think either, you know, I can do it in my own power, or I think, you know, I don't, I don't have to reach out to God for this because I know if I do he's going to act and that might make me uncomfortable but I think I think we need to we need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because because God's power does not fit in a box the gospel cannot be contained and and when God works there might be some discomfort for us that comes with that. But that's okay. Because the gospel brings hope to the hurting. And, and we, have, we have no lack of hurting people in our nation right now. There's much strife and, and, and many things going on that are causing this hurt. And we have the hope that can make them whole again. So imagine if we, as the body of Christ, exercised our faith in such a way that we would, we would reach out to the hurting despite our discomfort. And, and this, this, this is something that, that I need to work on. I like being comfortable. But I think we and I need to learn from this woman who reaches out into the discomfort and trusts God to act. Uh, it would be a, a Proverbs 22.2 kind of faith that says, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. What, what barriers have you put up in your life? Is it, you know, not getting together with people who don't share your hobbies? Not seeking to minister peop to people who are different than you. Uh, maybe, it's, you know, maybe it's like Proverbs 22 says, the rich and the poor, maybe it's race, maybe, maybe it's a whole list of things 
that there's some sort of barrier that prevents you from, from reaching out to others or reaching out to God. And, and, and acknowledge those in your life. And, and know that, that there is no discomfort that should keep us from reaching out to others or reaching out to God. And there is no discomfort that can contain the gospel. One author says it this way, The gospel breaks down all humanly erected boundaries that categorize certain people as second-class citizens. We are all created in the image of God. And because of that, we have dignity and worth. But there's still a lot of brokenness that exists. And, and we have the message that restores that brokenness, that brings it to, to healing. And that's, that's the gospel, that, that in Christ we can be made whole again. And there is no such thing as a second-class citizen when we're thinking through gospel lenses. And so we, we must come firstly in our own lives, but also uh, as we uh, seek to minister to people, we must come with the wrecking ball of the gospel to bring hope to the hopeless and healing to the hurting. And this woman, this Gentile woman understood this, that Jesus is her only hope. And so she reaches out to him. She reaches out if, if, if just for a crumb, she reaches out. And I think the second thing that we learn is that, that even crumbs from the king's table are a feast to those with faith. Look at the, the, the interaction that happens between Jesus and this woman. In verse 27, he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said and answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And maybe, maybe you're like me as you're reading that, and you're like, what just happened? Because that interaction, I mean, doesn't really make sense. Uh, Jesus is calling this woman a dog, and she's saying, yes, all I need is a crumb to be fed. And we need to remember that Jesus, in his response, is testing her faith. It, it may seem at first a little harsh or maybe even unhelpful, but when we remember Jesus is testing her faith, we can see a little bit more what's going on. And it's, it's obvious that her faith is strong enough to press on uh, because she is not deterred by his answer. Uh, in this ancient culture, when, when someone, specifically a Jew, was referring to a Gentile as a dog, they would be calling them vile and, and worthless. But it's interesting that the word Jesus uses is not the word that they would use for that, to describe someone as vile and worthless. The word Jesus uses is more so the word puppy or, or little dog. Little dog might be in some of your translations. And, and, and he's using very intentional language in his response. And he paints a picture of a dinner table with children sitting around it. Now, 
the, the picture that I got as I was reading this text was when I was little, uh, Thanksgiving dinner. We had, we had the kids' table and we had the adults' table. Uh, there's, there's only one table in this illustration, but, but, but picture, picture that. I don't know if maybe your Thanksgiving dinner had a kids' table. Mine still does, but most of them are adults now, so it's not really a kids' table. Uh, but we still sit there, and it's great. Um, but this is the picture that Jesus is painting in his response to this woman, a dinner table. And in calling this woman a dog, Jesus is comparing her to the pet that would be under the table because she does not have a place at the table because she's not Jewish. So, so picture this again with me. You got, you got the kids' table, and the dog usually ends up there because kids are messy, and they drop a lot of food. I've dropped a lot of food and, and made my dog happy. had a little poodle who would always sit under the table and was ready, like before it even hit the ground, it was there, to eat the crumbs from this table. And, and so in this, this picture, those who are seated at the table, the children, would be the Jews of Jewish descent from the line of Abraham. And the dogs under the table would represent Gentiles, those who are not a part of the covenant, those who are not descended from Abraham. And the response that Jesus gives to this woman is interesting. And, and I think we can clear it up just a little bit here. He says, let the children be fed first. So, so in his response, he's not saying, you're not going to be fed at all. He's saying the children are fed first. And I think this, this really is pointing to God's plan of salvation that has always been and will always be. Uh, we see it in, in Romans 1.16, and, and Jesus is, is just reiterating um, that he has come for the purpose of saving the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, so Romans 1.16, the, power of the, uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. So in his response, Jesus is, is reiterating this a little bit and saying, I have come for a specific purpose and a specific people. They must be fed first. But then we can also turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 to see where, where what's happening here really comes to fullness and see that God makes those who were not his people, his people. And so even, even though you know, we, I, I am not of Jewish descent, I would be considered a Gentile, even though I am not of Jewish descent because of what is happening in this text, those who are not of Jewish descent can still partake of the covenant of God. They can still be saved. And, and that's what, that's what this, this woman is hearing from Jesus. Because in her answer, she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So God's plan of salvation was to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. And in her response, we, we can see and we can learn that even a crumb from God's table is enough to feed us. And that's all she comes asking for. 
But in asking for a crumb, what she finds in return is a feast. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said it this way, Where it is a poor man's table and he cannot afford to lose a crumb, dogs should not be allowed. But when it is a king's table where bread is of small account and the children are sitting and feeding to the full, the little dogs may be permitted to feed under the table for mere droppings. Not the bread the master casts down, but the crumbs that fall by accident and are, are so many that there is enough for the dogs without the children being deprived a mouthful. So, so God's plan of salvation to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. In coming to the Gentiles, in, in feeding them this crumb, he is not taking away from his children, those who would be seated at the table, because his feast is, is so full. And, and that's, that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we worship this morning, who, who does not lack. He is not a poor man who cannot afford to lose even a crumb. But we find that even his crumbs are enough to feed us, his people, if we have faith. And God has made a way of salvation for all people. And we come only through faith. But we must come like this woman who comes empty, knowing that Jesus is her only hope. And, and I, I struggled with this interaction. I, I didn't really understand what was going on. And, and I heard Jesus calling this woman a dog. And, and I was like, yes, absolutely, she is a dog. When in reality, I, I should see myself with her. And, and it revealed the problem in me that I was not seeing myself in gospel lenses. If I did, I would see myself as a dog and, and much worse. Whatever, whatever he could have called her or me here, I would be that and so much worse if I were seeing myself through gospel lenses. And this woman understood this. She understood what, what I and the Pharisees did not. The gospel cuts away all my pride. All the standing that I think I have before God or, or the entitlement that I think I have to his mercy. And it takes it away and says, no, there's nothing in you that deserves a seat at God's table but I thought I did. <laughs> and that's like, I, I, in, in this picture, I put myself at the table with my little poodle there looking up at me. But that's, that's not what we are to learn from this. Because the kind of faith that this woman exercises, the kind of faith that sees herself as lowest of the low, and yet she is still able to reach out to God. And, and, and when, when we don't see ourselves through gospel lenses, and when we have the pride that builds up, 
It, it keeps us from reaching out to God and reaching out to others. When we view ourselves wrongly and think that we deserve a seat at God's table, we're seeing ourselves as, as, as what has earned the spot there. But what was interesting to me and, and, and what, I, what I took away from this text is that the gospel forces us to see ourselves not others as lowest of the low. And, and maybe that's, maybe that's the, the barrier that exists between you and others. I know it's a barrier that exists between me and others. And maybe, you know, you'll say, but yeah, I, I don't think I'm the best. But surely you don't see yourself as the lowest. I, I like to put myself kind of right in the middle. It's kind of it's safe. I, I'm, not, I'm not the best, but I'm also not the worst. And because of that, I think I deserve a seat at God's table. But that's not the case at all. Uh, we were studying in, in Sunday school, Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. I, I don't deserve that seat at God's table. Uh, scripture says that my heart is desperately wicked above all things. I don't deserve a seat at God's table. I, I, I belong underneath the table with this woman begging for God to provide even a crumb. But it's faith that helps us realize that even this crumb from God's table makes us whole. So where do you see yourself? Do you, do you think you deserve a seat at God's table? Or do you see yourself under the table reaching out to God in faith, knowing that he can and will act? Because it's faith that, the faith that asks may only receive a crumb, but it is by that crumb that we are made whole. And so the last, last thing we see in the text is that faith makes us whole. By faith, like this woman, we can reach out to God to be made whole. It's this woman's, woman's faith that made her and her daughter whole. The demon was gone, and, and this Gentile woman had gone away having seen God. She was able to, to reach out in faith, and, and the irony of it all is that the unclean Gentile is made clean by faith while the Pharisees, who are supposedly clean, remain unclean because of their repentant, unrepentant and unbelieving hearts. For this woman, wholeness is the reward of her faith. But not only that, wholeness is the offer of Christ for us this morning. The ultimate healing that, that this world needs is, is healing of the heart, is restoration between God and man. We need to be made right with God, and that only happens through faith in Christ. And, and we need to know that God provided a way of salvation 
so that even we, dogs begging beneath the table, could be brought into his family. And we need to know that there is no greater hope and, and no greater fulfillment that can be found than in even a simple crumb from our king's table. And, and so I hope you know that this morning. That, that Jesus can make this woman whole through faith, but he can also make you whole through faith. Whatever hurt you may have, whatever barrier you may have put up between yourself and God, the gospel comes in and destroys it. There is nothing that can stop our God from working. And through faith we can be made whole. I love Galatians chapter 3 verses 28 and 29 that says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus and if you are Christ's and you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise so even, even us dogs under the table by reaching out in faith, can become offspring of Abraham. Uh, when, we are, when we are brought into the covenant by Christ, who is the true Israel, that we can come into the covenant and, and be spiritually offspring of Abraham. And, and God has promised and, and made a way for this salvation to be possible, a way to be made whole, and that way is Christ. I also, also want to read Ephesians chapter 2. I, I read a little bit ahead in our Sunday school class this morning, and I, I couldn't help but, but read this. Ephesians 2, 11 through 19, and also 3, 6, I think will really, really help us see this. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And maybe that, that, that's us. But then look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in his ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. And finally, chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promised in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And that, that's where we are this morning. 
that even dogs under the table, because of what Christ has done, can reach out in faith and be partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Through faith, you can be Christ's and be given a seat at his table with his banquet feast spread before you. All you must do is ask in faith. Come to him empty like the Gentile woman did and he will surely fill you. And and once you experience this wholeness, it's your job to be the kind of person that breaks down walls with the gospel. The dividing wall of hostility, as Ephesians 2 says, it no longer exists when we view ourselves and others through the lens of the gospel. And so we must, we must go to the last and the least of these to show that there is hope that exists in Christ alone. And so may we use the gospel as our wrecking ball to tear down any wall that might exist between ourselves and others, ourselves and God, so that we can bring hope to all who need it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the hope that exists in Christ. May we see it more clearly this morning, and may we proclaim it more and more every day. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.